You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Alex Jensen. On a Wednesday, A's Cast Live, coming to you live on A's Cast from the Jingle Town Studios in Jack London Square. Alex Jensen alongside as the A's... Well, they continue their four-game series tonight in Kansas City. And after a, a 2-1 to win last night behind Mike Fires, the A's are, are back to 21 games over the 500 mark. They gained a game on the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, the, uh, the second wild card. Good night overall last night for the club. And Mike Fires now 11-0 since his no-hitter. Well, really, including his no-hitter. 11-0 with... An ERA right around two and a half. Mike Fires has now lowered his ERA from 6.81 to where he sits right now at 3.40 during that stretch since May. And in fact, in all but one start, he has either kept his ERA the same or lowered his ERA. Amazing stuff. I talked about that last time here on A's Cast Live, last time I was in here for Chris Townsend from Ricky Henderson Field. He has been everything you want from a rotation leader. You know exactly what you're going to get from Mike Fires every time he takes the ball after April. we got a short show today. We're we're off the air at 4.15 and getting you ready then for A's and Royals with A's Total Access. Vince Catronio will join us in about 15 minutes from Kauffman Stadium. After that, we'll have another guest live from Kauffman Stadium. Steve Fiziak, the voice of the Kansas City Royals, will join us as well. So we will uh, we'll get quite the taste, if you will, of Kansas City, Kansas City barbecue. I'll tell you this much, Kauffman Stadium has always been on my list of stadiums to go to. Uh, when I was a kid, I just liked the fountains out there. I, th- I think they've done a phenomenal job uh, with their renovations in the outfield, putting this, the chair back seats in there. They hosted the All-Star Game a few years ago. I, I'd, I'd like to go. I've heard the good things about Kansas City as well. Anyway, so we'll get a taste of that from Vince Catronio, as well as Steve Fiziak, who is a Kansas native. He grew up around the Kansas City area. So all that is coming up on today's show. We'll get into, uh, I don't know if you saw this, Justin Verlander was ejected with his with his back-to-the-home plate umpire yesterday for arguing balls and strikes. In my mind, that's a big no-no. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about wins for pitchers. How important is a win? I think most people here know Chris Townsend's uh, stance on this I, I have a, a little bit more of a nuanced stance I guess I'm, I'm kind of in between and almost leaning away from the a win really uh, judging whether a picture a pitcher is effective or not 
Now, I think it does. I think I think that a win for a pitcher does measure competitiveness to a certain extent. I'll, I'll give you an example. If a pitcher goes, let's say, five innings, gives up six runs, and still gets the win, is that a good outing? I think by some measures you'd say yes. You know, staying in the game long enough to get to the bullpen, giving up not quite enough runs. But if we're really being honest with ourselves, if, if you're really looking at that stat line, and maybe some of this you have to, you know, you have to watch the game because that's the type of game baseball is. But if you're talking about a guy that gives up six runs in five innings, is that an effective outing? I mean, is that something that is sustainable for a successful pitcher? Now, again, they did enough to win the game. They did enough for their team to win the game. And in the end, the team winning the ball game is the most important thing. But I think odds are, if you're giving up an average, you know, of five, six runs an outing, you're probably not going to stick in the big leagues for very long. That's my opinion. All right, so last night, the A's, uh, the A's get to 21 games over 500, and the A's have now outscored the Royals 21-5 to through the first two games of this series. And one of those was a one-run game, which means the A's scored 19 runs in game one. But Mike Fires, his 13th win, five and, five and a third innings. He scattered eight hits and got some great defense behind him. What he's done this year for Oakland, he, he's not blowing you away with the big strikeout numbers, but, man, is he ever earning his money. I mean, he is giving the A's exactly what they want, and I think you could look at Mike Fires. And say, and Bob Melvin had a quote about this last night, actually, and, and we'll play this as we as we get going on A's Cast Live. But he had a quote about Fires winning ball games and and what that means to the club. But Mike Fires has only has given up more than three runs just once since the beginning of May, just once. And the A's won that game, I think seven to six. That was a couple outings ago for him. I'd, I'll have to look up look at his uh, Baseball Reference page. Uh, to look that up, but Mike fires winning ball games, and it doesn't always go into his win loss record. He's eleven and zero over his past twenty starts. I mean, he is exactly what the A's paid for, exactly what the A's paid for, and it was a little concerning. I mean, after the first month, you know, Fires had a six eight one ERA after an outing at Fenway Park. He gave up three runs in five innings against the Red Sox. The A's lost that game seven to three. But since his no hitter. And my, Bob Melvin has said this as well. You know, he let Mike Fires throw 131 pitches in that no-hitter. But uh, this is part of what makes Bob Melvin great, is he understands that Mike Fires isn't the type of guy that's a max effort guy where 131 pitches is really going to affect him too much. You know, Mike Fires has been pitching the big leagues for a long time. He's 35 years old. He knows how to manage his body. And... A lot of times, you know, you'll see guys kind of tail off. There's plenty of examples of guys who have thrown like 150 pitches. And, Cody, maybe you can help me with a couple of examples here. I can't think of what I remember Edwin Jackson threw like 147 pitches in a no-hitter a few years ago, but a lot of guys have tailed off after that. Uh, Tim Lincecum's another one. Tim remember, Lincecum, that's Lincecum a great did example. Lincecum times, I think, against the Padres. Your Fires reference of the 7-6 win was back on August 15th versus the Astros. Thank you, sir. He allowed five runs over six innings, and they won 7-6. So I think if, if you were to ask Mike Fires, is that a good outing? You know, is that if you give up five runs to the Astros, is, is that is that one that's going to give you a chance to win more often than not? The answer is probably no. But at the same time, there is, you know, 
a competitive angle. To, the first time I did this show, we, we had on Mike Petrello uh, talking about the jumps metric. And to me, that was really the first metric that measured instincts. Well, maybe this is a stat that measures your competitiveness. You know, how many games do you, you, you know, do you give up more than four runs and still are able to win the ball game? Maybe you give up those four runs in the first inning. Masahiro Tanaka had a great example of this the other day in Oakland. I mean, a lot of people thought that he was going to be out in the second inning. And the Yankees had a guy warming up in their bullpen, but Masahiro Tanaka gave the Yankees six innings in that ball game, And he didn't get the win, but I guarantee when the Yankees went down to L.A., that's, that's an outing that they look back in circle because it helped save their bullpen. And that's an instance where if the Yankees came back to win that game and Tanaka got the win, that's an instance where you could say him getting the win demonstrates exactly how valuable he was to the Yankees in that game. But to the same token, I think that his value is shown to the Yankees in that game, even though he didn't get the win because he was able to go six innings. So that's kind of where I fall on this. Is it white and black? Getting the win is, you know, your your win-loss record is exactly how valuable you are as a pitcher? No, I don't think it's black and white. But I do think that there is a certain aspect of being able to pick up a win that does show your value and your competitiveness. We'll talk to Vince Catronio about that. I'm, I'm excited to hear his thoughts. We'll, we'll pick Steve Fiziok's brain on that as well. The A's bullpen last night, three and two-thirds innings. They allowed one hit. Uh, this, is a, this is a unit for the A's that has the potential to be a major, major weapon. You know, you've got – I can't think of many teams that have as many power arms at the back end of their bullpen as, as the A's do. You've got how many guys that throw over 95 miles an hour? You've got Liam Hendricks. You've got Blake Trinan. You've got Jake Diekman. You've got Lou Trevino. You know, Joaquin Soria's bumped 95 every now and then. A.J. Puck. A.J. Puck. M- quickly, remember the Royals started this whole thing when they had the Nasty uh, Boys. Yeah, Shield, or no, Shields, James Shields, big game James. I'm thinking Kelvin of Kelvin um, Herrera. Herrera. Wade Davis. Wade Davis and their, the, uh, Greg Holland. Greg Holland, they yeah. They all threw hard, and they, they made it a six-inning game. Then they brought those three guys in, and well, good luck against that bullpen. And yeah, that's how it was. And a lot of teams, the, the Giants were similar to that. Now, they didn't have the same type of velocity with their arms. But when the Giants won the World Series, the, them and the Royals were built very similar in those years. You know, you, you keep the pressure on, you play good defense, you put the ball in play, you don't blast a lot of home runs, and it worked for them. And it, it seems like that's the way the Royals are trying to build their club right now with a lot of speed. They picked up Billy Hamilton in the offseason. The guys they got for the A's and their two acquisitions in the A's two acquisitions of Homer Bailey and Jake Diekman. A lot of speed there as well. We have Vince Catronio now, I'm being told. Vince, live from Kansas City. Sir, how are we doing? I tell you what, sun shining, blue skies, no humidity. It's unheard of in August in the Midwest. So it's, it's, it's another beautiful day. It should be another gorgeous night for baseball. You know, I've, I was just talking about this in the open, Vince. Kauffman Stadium is kind of one of those ballparks that's always piqued my interest a little bit. I've, it's always been kind of on my list of, uh, of ballparks to visit. Is it, you know, I mean, is it as advertised? Is it, is it, a, pretty, is it a pretty good spot? I think so. Uh, and even before they did the renovation here, which added the Hall of Fame and added, you know, made some changes to the seats in the outfield and added the concourse completely around the stadium, even though it was, you know, decades old, it always looked new, and it looks even better 
but it has a unique setting. You're right off I-70. You've got the fountains you see from left center to right center. You've got the big video board out in center field. And, uh, you know, it's a three-deck stadium, a you know, large upper deck, and, you know, they've got the lower bowl. A lot of great baseball history here. I think they've done a tremendous job with this with this ballpark. And, you know, the, when, when they got rid of the turf and went to grass and then with, you know, trying to do something together with the, with the Chiefs, which they discussed the possibility of uh, having a, a retractable roof that could go over both stadiums on like a tracking system. Because in the Midwest, as we know, and we're lucky this week, but you know, storms can crop up at a moment's notice. And like the Cardinals, the the Royals, they do draw from a, from a wide, you know, wide spans of, of territory on you know, all of Kansas and some of Missouri, et cetera. And you want to guarantee these fans that are driving in, you know, 90 minutes, two hours, that there's going to be a ball game. And at times that's, you know, at risk. But other than that, this is a, you know, it's a beautiful place. And certainly the A's are lucky this week, like I said, because the weather has just been spectacular. There's no humidity, you know, temperature right around 80 degrees with a little bit of a breeze. It's just been, it's just been great. And, you know, very friendly people and people that have been with this organization for a lot of years. Their uh, vice president of communications, Mike Swanson, is the best in the business. You know, he, he started the Rockies. He started the Diamondbacks, and he's from Kansas City, came back to Kansas City to, to uh, head up you know, that side of their operation, and he just does a great job with the people around him. Wow, so a, a retractable roof that would go over both. That would have to be one of the world's largest retractable roofs, I would think. It sounds like almost kind of the system they have in Seattle with the tracks uh, around the ballpark and the roof uh, sliding on, on kind of a, like a train track system almost. Right. I mean, it, it didn't pass. They, they had a... You know, that a bond issue here that allowed them, I think, $250 million in improvements. It would have doubled that if they would have added that that side of the project. That that part was not approved, and I don't think it ever really got to a vote. Once, once they decided how they were going to present the, the renovations here, I think they just stuck with, you know, changing, you know, some of the things in the outfield, adding things around the ballpark, and, and that's the way they went. So, yeah, it would have been, would have been unique, but, you know, Today's technology, I wouldn't rule out anything architecturally for anybody in the world. We're watching that firsthand with, with the group that, that Dave Cavill has put together for uh, you know the waterfront ballpark over Jack Lennon Square. If that thing comes to fruition and you add the gondola to that as well, yeah. I mean, everybody will be talking about that as, you know, as the state of the art of the moment and, and certainly something that many fans have never experienced before. And, you know, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that that's something that can get done. Vince, let's get to last night's ball game, and we were talking specifically about Mike Fires. Uh, he's now thirteen and three. He scattered the eight hits last night. I mean, just this guy's competitiveness, uh, especially it's been on display obviously since the no hitter. Do you think that's almost his most valuable trait? You know, t- the competitiveness and, and the mindset he takes to the mound as the leader of this rotation. Well, at the beginning of the season, I really believe that the whole. Japan scenario just didn't fit with the way that he prepares for a season. You know, the spring training was truncated. You know, we left on March 13th. This is a guy that's had a history of a back trouble in the past, and maybe he just wasn't quite, you know, in in the routine to start the year. And those numbers reflected it. He had three consecutive starts where uh, he gave up at least six earned runs, and the you know the ERA really ballooned. And you're looking at this. You know, this is a guy we signed to a two-year deal. What, you know, what's going on? What, what was the reason for that? I do believe. That was part of the issue for Mike. And then I think also part of it during that time is he was either trying to compensate or just trying to figure out how to make things happen on the fly. 
he was getting away a little bit of who Mike Fires is, and I think he was trying to use too many off-speed pitches uh, in certain counts, and, and you know more so than fastball. He's a fastball guy, yeah. even at 91 miles an hour, and with that, you know, over-the-top uh, halting motion that he has to the plate, he has a lot of deception, and he's the fastball. That's what got him to where he is now, and. Even though they know he throws a fastball, he has enough spin that where it, it holds its line, which is why you see a lot of the pop-ups and some lazy fly balls. He's been difficult to get out of the ballpark. And now, you know, now you've got the change in the eye level with the curveball. And for me, last night specifically, and I asked him about it in the postgame show, it seemed like around, you know, end of the third, going into the fourth, and again, fifth and sixth innings, that he finally found the range again of that curveball. It was such an important pitch for him that it's, changes the eye level of the hitters. He had a lot of traffic. I mean, between the walks and the hits, like you mentioned, there were a lot of base runners. And, you know, to his credit, he didn't allow it to spiral out of control. But by the same token, if you're Bob Melvin, you're saying, look, we, you know, we're, we're certainly testing fate time and time again, and I do have a lot of trust in what you can do and what you've accomplished as a pitcher. But at some point, we've got to make a change here. And I think that's why he went and got Mike early in the sixth setting and went to use Mara Petit in the bullpen, and they just locked it down. We've been talking here, uh, Cody Elias and I, about wins for a pitcher. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously that's with all the, the uh, Sabre metrics and, and advanced, you know, advanced statistics in, in, that have been introduced in baseball over the 15, last 15, 20 years, 10 years. You know, that, that's a statistic that has that's fallen by the wayside a little bit. Uh, Mike Fires kind of last night on display, uh, you know, being able to get through five and a third, like you mentioned, and, and give the A's enough for a win. Where do you fall on this stat, Vince? The the stat of a win. How how much does it uh, does it maybe uh, determine a pitcher's value? I I'm not in the kill the win category. I I think it does merit some consideration because if you know if you're Brian Kenny, who's who's the uh, chairman of the board of the kill the win department, I think you just I mean look, look there, I think there've been seven games this year that Mike has pitched that he's left with the lead that the A's didn't win. You know, blown saves on top of that in games that he started. So let's, let's say the A's were successful in half of those. And suddenly you're talking about a guy that's a 16-17 game winner, and he's in the conversation for the Cy Young, even though he doesn't have that eye-popping stuff like a Verlander or a Garrett Cole. And so uh, to me, the, the win means the guy's going deep in the ballgame. And ultimately, at least in my opinion, you need that starter to go deep in the ballgame. It, it allows you to manipulate the ball, you know, a bullpen not just for that specific game, but even for a series. Like, take, for instance, the A's on Friday are going to face the Yankees and CC Sabathia. And we all love CC, you know, the local guy and all those things. He's a five-inning pitcher right now. And if the A's somehow find a way to get to him even earlier than that, and maybe knock him out of the game, it does put Aaron Boone in a, in a scenario about making determinations on what arms he can use the next two days in the series against the A's, especially with the day game the next day, even though Herman, 17-game winner, is pitching the next day. And then you've got Jay Happ, who's been very inconsistent for them. So uh, I do believe if you have a starter that goes deep in ball games, and look, Brian Kenny could talk all he wants about you know bullpenning and look what Tampa Bay has done and you know, openers and things of that nature. A lot of that happens because you don't have Verlander and Cole and Granky and mildly in your rotation. Well, the A's don't have those names either, but they do have Fires and Anderson and Roark and Bassett and Bailey 
at least right now in a stretch of pitching consistently and pitching deep enough in the ball games that has covered up a lot of the issues the A's have with their bullpen. Because two pitchers that you counted on dramatically at this time last year and tried to the Trevino, they're very rarely right now being used in plus games. And so you've had to rely on, on Soria and you've had to rely on Petit. And then you mix the mats with the left handers with varying degrees of success. And then you hopefully you have the lead and you get to Hendricks, who's been extremely consistent. But with, without the starters, you know, going six or right around six and sometimes more than that, it, it puts at least the ace manager, you know, Bob Melvin, in, in a difficult spot on, on making decisions one night to the next. Here, here was my – tell me what you think of this, Vince. And this was this – was, I was kind of thinking about this out loud earlier today when uh, Cody and I were, were talking about this win statistic. The win almost helps measure a starting pitcher's competitiveness in that, you know, let's say a guy gives up – three, four runs in, in the first couple innings. And, you know, he's able to, to kind of gut it. We saw Masahiro Tanaka do it a few nights ago against the A's. Now, he didn't get the win. But if, if you have a rough outing and you're able to go five, six innings, like you mentioned, giving that length, I mean, that's a competitive start, isn't it? It is. And then remember Chris Bassett, when he started for the Athletics, when he went six innings against the Astros, where the night previously they played 13 innings and won against Houston, you know, three to two, a game that Tanner Roark started. That's the new going into the game. I've got to give the club innings. I've, I've got to find a way to stay in this game yeah. and and put the bullpen in a spot where it, it allows Bob to to match up the way he wants to the rest of the way, even though that you know, his bullpen was used pretty heavily the night before. I mean, look at what Kansas City did. Kansas City went to 10-inning game in Cleveland on Sunday. Uh, Jorge Lopez gets the save his first of the year. He had started five days previously a game against the Baltimore Orioles. And so when your starter, Brad Keller, comes out of the game, and now he's, they've announced that he's done for the year. They've shut him down completely. This is their opening day starter that they were going to you know, manage the innings on. Well, they, they managed him. He's done. And suddenly you've got Lopez coming into the game, and he only gives you an inning in two-thirds. It, it, it forces, you know, in some respects, a mockery of the game with a position player, not so much a position player pitching, but a position player pitching in the seventh inning of a yeah. game where they're covering the final three innings of the game with position players. That, for me, is an issue. I, I don't agree with it. Even last night, uh, Tampa Bay used uh, Rosso for two innings uh, to, to cover the rest of the game, and they got thumped by the, uh, the Astros 15-1. to uh, And Russell Martin pitched the ninth inning of the game. They were winning in the ninth against the Padres. And it's, just, it's becoming so so happenstance, so casual, that, that this is now a, a, an experience a regularly accepted part of the game, uh, I've, I've got an issue with that. And I think, to your point, if you've got the starters that are that are getting you five and two-thirds, six and a third, seven and a third innings, you know, a couple of times through the rotation, it does a world of good for your bullpen. It does a world of good of keeping the gray hairs off of Bob Melvin's head, specifically to the athletics. If you were to guess, Vince, and I've got the exact number in front of me, but if you were to guess, over under 75 position players that have pitched in the big leagues this season? I would take the over. Yes, correct. 86. How about that? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's growing. Yeah. It's, you know, like I said, it's becoming a, an accepted part of the game. And, and now, like last night, the Dodgers have used Russell Martin four times this year. They used him when they had the lead last night. I mean, it's just... The manner, he's not a two-way player. He's not Brendan McKay of the Tampa Bay Rays or Shohei Otani of the Angels. 
you know, who's, who's, who has it at the highest level. This is a, this is a, this is a different management of the arms that you have. And, and it opens the question, you know, it seems like next year there's going to be an agreement to add a, another player to the, to the roster. There's going to be a 26 man roster and then 28 in September. The question is, does that mean that teams are going to use that just to add another pitcher where there's more matchups than ever before? Or are you actually going to add a, a position player and, and allow the opportunity for a manager to make to make more moves and, and take advantage of players that, that have a skill set uh, with some utility function that allows you to use that person in a matchup situation like we see managers do every night with pitchers? It's interesting. There's so many aspects of the game here in 2019 that we've never seen before, like you said, used on, on, on this scale. Vince, I appreciate the time. Uh, have a good call tonight. I believe we, we got you on uh, on A's Total Access tonight. Is that right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your leadoff man today. I'll be happy to do it, Alex. Fantastic. Well, then we'll talk to you in about an hour. Sounds good. All right, hey, Vince, Alex. Thank you, Vince. That's Vince Catronio joining us from Kauffman Stadium before the A's and the Royals brought up a lot of interesting points. I mean, Russell Martin pitching when the Dodgers have the lead. That's, I mean, you would have never rewind five, six, seven years. Two, three years, you would never see that. 86 position players have pitched. And to Vince's point, I mean, it, it really begs the question, you know, what, what direction are, are clubs going to go in September? Because you think about that. Not right now, you, you don't have the 40-man roster. You're in the dog days of August. Certain teams, look at the Royals, who had, three, who had position players cover three innings the other night. They're 40 games under 500. They're not playing for anything. You know, what's, what's the difference for them if Alex Gordon pitches the seventh inning or not? It's really interesting. And, you know, some people, may, possibly rightfully so, think it's making a mockery of the game. You know, I mean, it's almost a way to cheat the system. I mean, that's the reason that you play nine innings in baseball is because you have to game plan for those final outs and then going forward into the next day. So we'll see where we go with that. Okay, so as we continue on here on A's Cast Live, the voice of the Kansas City Royals, Steve Fiziak. He also calls college hoops, by the way, which maybe we'll get into a little bit of that. Anyone who knows me knows I'm a big college hoops guy. But we'll talk to Steve Fiziak about the Royals, barbecue. We'll talk to him about Kauffman Stadium as well. The voice of the Gales, as we Billy has on this program. Not only are you the face of A's All Night, the voice of the Gales, and this show is going to, might change the name when you're filling it. It won't be the Ace Cast Live. It's going to be the Alex Jensen Experience. You got to say that a little. The Alex Jensen Experience. The Alex Jensen Experience. Yeah, we can we can brand that. I'm not I'm not oh, opposed. Also, uh, quick PSA here. Join Tony, myself, and well, everyone else affiliated with Ace Cast, hopefully, but more so Tony and myself. For a watch party on Friday, starting at 1 o'clock at the Chicken Pie Shop of Walnut Creek. That's 1251 Arroyo Way in, in Walnut Creek, the Chicken Pie Shop. We'll have drink and food specials. Well, sorry, Tony will have drink and food specials for everyone. <laughs> As we do a watch party ahead of the Yankees game, which we, we'll start Ace Cast live at 1, live broadcast from 1 to 3. And then Tony will carry it with Ace Total Access into the game at 4. So that's 1251 Arroyo Way in Walnut Creek, the Chicken Pie Shop, 1 to 3. Will we Ace Cast Live? So the watch party starts at 1. Hopefully, we'll see you all there. It's a great spot. We had a staff outing, an A's Cast staff outing, uh, our team of a handful of us. Yeah, the, uh, the, the faces of A's Cast. The faces of A's Cast. We were at Chicken Pie Shop, what was that, about three weeks ago? Yeah. Really good food. On a, and it was on a Sunday night, which is the most odd time to do a outing on there was a Sunday a, night. There was a poker night there. Yeah. Remember they tried roping someone into the game? Was it Townie? I yeah, can't remember. Of course it was Townie. Of course it was town. Well, it was free, he, though. He was the only one there that has the money, so. 
That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. Okay, up next we've got the voice of the Royals. He is Steve Fiziak. He'll be joining us live from Kansas City when A's Cast Live continues. Broadcasting from the town, A's Cast Live continues. So in that last break, we had a a watch party advertisement and a chicken pie shop advertisement. If that if that's not a sign, you need to get out to Walnut Creek on Friday. I don't know what is. Like I said, we were there the other night. It's a good spot. And the A's are playing the Yankees. I mean, what else do you need? A's and the Royals tonight. I am Alex Jensen and for Chris Townsend here on A's Cast Live. As we uh, getting close to welcoming in the voice of the Royals, Steve Fiziak, also a, like I said, also a college hoops broadcaster. And I think we got a, a text coming on the text line through the 408. Does that say Go Broncos? I think it does. I'm assuming that's the Santa Clara Broncos and not the Denver Broncos. Okay, looking at the Royals, the Royals are in fourth place in the AL Central. They are uh, 46 and 87. This is a young rebuilding club. Jorge Soler is having a very good year for Kansas City. He's hit over 30 home runs. They did just shut down one of their promising young pitchers, though, Brad Keller, who pitched a couple nights ago. Thanks to uh, arm fatigue, he is 7-14 with a 4-1-9 ERA and has thrown 165 innings this year. He's a free agent in 2024. You're seeing teams do this a lot more now where they want to protect these young assets, especially pitchers, because all, all it takes is just being overworked a little bit, that one arm injury, and they're on the shelf for a long time, and, and in some cases they're never the same again. So the Royals are uh, taking a, a conservative approach with Brad Keller. Kansas City also looking like they're going to get a couple pieces back from the injured list this weekend as Aldoberto Mondesi uh, will be returning this weekend, the young shortstop, young speedster, and Danny Duffy, the veteran as well. He'll be coming back, and he hasn't had a, a great year for Kansas City, but he's a veteran guy. And like we just talked about with, with Vince Catroni, I mean, what is Mike Fires? meant to this staff, this A staff. Well, Danny Duffy could mean the same thing for a young Royal staff. You take into consideration Chris Bassett, okay? Chris Bassett, a few year, or, uh, a few starts ago, mentioned that he started to throw his, his curveball and his changeup more. What was the reason for that? Well, he talked to a couple of veteran guys. Brett Anderson and Mike Fires pulled him aside and told him, hey, you know, you're – Everything that's coming out of your hand, because Bassett was relying mostly on the fastball and the cutter. Everything that's coming out of your hand, those guys told him, is too close to the same speed. You've got to vary your speeds up a little bit. And sometimes for a young guy, you know, for a young pitcher, for really any pitcher, and this is, this is you know, why uh, having those teammates like that and veterans like that to be able to see those things and, and lean on their experience, that's why this stuff is so important. It's told him, hey, you should, you should lean on your changeup and and your curveball a little bit more. So not everything that you throw is hard. And I think that was right around the end of July. Well, Chris Bassett hasn't lost a game since July twenty since uh, July twenty fourth against the Astros. And in those five starts, he is two and zero with a two oh five ERA. He's given up seven runs in thirty and two thirds innings pitched. So maybe that's what Danny Duffy could help provide to this younger Royals staff. Guys like Brad Keller, Jacob Junis, who's pitching tonight. You know, that's 
That's important. And we've seen what Chris Bassett has done this year. As we continue to effort Steve Fiziak again, the uh, the A's two to one winners last night, and getting two and uh, three and uh, three and two thirds innings shutout innings, giving up just one hit from their bullpen. Marcus Simeon, two more hits. How about this guy? I mean, we were talking a lot about last week about this this club's MVP. You could say, obviously, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson. I thought I think Mark Canna's in the conversation. Marcus Simeon now 23 home runs, 70 RBIs. He's got a war of 5.6. That's second on the team behind only Matt Chapman, who's at 6.1. And again, most, most importantly for me, for Marcus Simeon, he plays every day, and he's held down the leadoff spot. How valuable is that? This, this, the leadoff spot for the A's, you look back at their wild card game last year, Nick Martini led off for the A's in that game. And I'm not saying anything, you know, Nick Martini was a valuable member of this club. But he was DFA the other day. And the Padres picked him up. So for Marcus Simeon, an all-star level player, to be, I mean, when you talk about him batting leadoff, he's going to get the most at-bats out of anybody on the, you know, in any given game. He's going to see the plate the most times. So to be able to have your leadoff man, with that type of production, I mean, he's taking the offense to another level. And it's taken some of the stress away from Bob Melvin to wonder about what to do with that leadoff spot on a day-in, day-out basis. Robbie Grossman's hit there at times this year. We mentioned Nick Martini a year ago. It's interesting how, how lineups have changed, too. I mean, this is no longer, like, strictly a table-setter Type of type of spot in the lineup. Brandon Belt hit hit leadoff for the Giants a couple times this past weekend. Yeah, he's not a table setter. Marcus Simeon has twenty three home runs, like I said, and he has good speed. He is also not a table setter, in in its in its purest sense of the form. You know, he he's not necessarily a guy that's that's going to slap the ball the other way, get on, steal second base, et cetera, et cetera. But he's been fantastic this year. And, and the defense speaks for itself. It certainly does. And he's a guy that I'm sure this, you know, I mean, the front office is, I would imagine, likely having conversations about an extension for this guy. I've, I've seen it reported by Susan Slusser that he's a guy that they want to keep around for a long time. I'm Alex Jensen. This is A's Cast Live. We are still efforting uh, Steve Fiziak, the voice of the Royals. Coming to you live from the uh, Jingletown Studios here in the uh, A's corporate offices. And looking at this Royals team just a little deeper, one thing I want to talk to Steve Fiziak about was Ian Kennedy because he's made kind of a, a remarkable this – is, this was a guy that was a lifetime starter, Ian Kennedy. And the Royals this year moved him to the closer's role. Now, they paid him as a starter. What do you get, 72, $72 million? Five years, $70 million. And he'll be a free agent after next year. But, you know, starting in 2016, his age 31 season with the Royals, he was 11-11 and in 33 starts, okay, with a 3.68 ERA. Then the wheels started to fall off a little bit for Ian Kennedy. 
2017, 5-13 with a 5-3 ADRA in 30 starts. And then last year, he only made 22 starts, and he was 3-9 and nine with a 4.66. This is one of the things I wanted to ask Steve Fiziak, because this is a guy that, you know, one year finished fourth in the Cy Young voting. 2011 with the Diamondbacks, he was 21-4 and four with a 2.88 ERA. 21-4. and four. He's won double digits in four years as a starter. He's got a career ERA of 4.11, and he started 289 games coming into his career. Well, this year, the Royals decided to move him to closer. And just looking at the numbers here, it seems as if it's paid off. He's 1-2 with a 3.68 ERA. Coming into this year, this guy has had only come out of the bullpen twice. Once in 2008 when he was 23, and his only appearance in 2009. Now, both of those were with the Yankees. And we talked about veteran guys. This is a veteran guy. I mean, he has been in the year in the league for 13 years now. Ian Kennedy. And he has taken a new role, and I'm being told we have Steve Fiziak now. Steve, can you hear me? At the tone, please... Maybe not. (laughs) Anyway, Ian Kennedy now, after coming out of the bullpen twice, has 22 saves. Twice in his career coming into this year. 22 saves in 51 games. I was watching him pitch earlier in this series, and this was a guy that, at least I remember, kind of moving the ball around, sinking it, cutting it, Throwing 91, 92 miles an hour. Well, now, I mean, I'm pretty sure I saw him the other night. 95 miles an hour with that pedigree. So this is a veteran guy. He struck out, by the way, 60 and 51 in a third innings. Giving up 54 hits and 22 saves. Like I said, and I believe now we have Steve Fiziak. Steve, can you hear me? Yes, and I'm very sorry. I was here. I had the phone right next to me, but I had it on silent because uh, I was in the broadcast booth. So I, I apologize for being late. Oh, not a problem at all. I'm glad you could join us. Hey, I was I was talking to. We just had Vince Catronio on a little while ago, and I was I was talking to him about the ballpark there, and I was telling him that that's kind of one of the ballparks that I've always wanted to visit. That's uh, that's always been uh, kind of on my list. You know, ever since I was a kid, saw the fountains out there. Now I see what they've done with with the renovations in the outfield there. What do I have to look forward to when I do visit Kauffman Stadium? Well, they built it in 1973, and they've just done a great job of redoing it just like uh, less than a decade ago, and it's just remarkable. It's very intimate. Um, The fountains, obviously, are the big story, and, of course, the huge scoreboard in center field. But lately, it's been the weather. We've had fantastic weather as well. Um, the, the team's not playing it as strong as we'd like to see them play, but they're building for the future, and they know that. But the ballpark is fantastic, and it's a, a smaller ballpark. It holds about 36,000, and uh, it's, it's, it's just there's a reason they call it the heartland. There's just wonderful people here. We saw the success. We saw the uh, great crowds in 2014, 2015, when we went to back-to-back World Series. Of course, I knocked off the Mets in 2015, and the entire town, turned royal blue so it was pretty fantastic and this place when you dress it up is pretty electric now did i read this right you you grew up uh right around kansas city correct yes i went to shawnee mission north high school i was a huge royals fan i was an ace fan first 
And then when the A's left for Oakland in, uh, after the 67 season for a kid, it was like 10 years, even though it was only one year that we yeah. didn't have Major League Baseball in 1968 and the Royals came into existence in 69. And I fell in love with them. I cut out every single story out of the Kansas City Star. Uh, Luke Pinello was my favorite player. He had four hits in the first game. So I was a big Royals fan, and that's why coming home eight years ago was pretty pretty uh, awesome, and then to, to see the success of the ball club. I would imagine so. I mean, I was just going to ask you, what was it like for you to be a part of those World Series runs? It was pretty uh, awesome, and at times very humbling because I'd be up in the booth looking down and saying, and seeing a kid there, you know, trying to catch a foul ball saying, that was me. That was me at Old Municipal Stadium and then at Royal Stadium. And then to be up in the booth with my heroes, guys like Danny Matthews and Fred White, that was uh, fantastic as well. But just to see the uh, the team, the way they, they climbed out of the, the dark times, it became a very good organization. And you could see their success in the minor leagues, winning at A-ball, winning at double-A. And it was the same group of young men. It was Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer and Salvador Perez and Danny Duffy and Kelvin Herrera and on and on. They were grouped together and they wanted to teach these guys how to win. And that's what they're doing again as they won the championship at Lexington last year, low A. And now they're, they have five of their nine teams in the postseason uh, this year. So we're, we're excited about the future. And unfortunately, we don't have a great deal of pitching right now but we certainly do down in the minor leagues and it'll be here before long you know you mentioned something interesting and it's something that uh people around here talk about with the a's is this 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 group this core matt chapman matt olson chad pinder those type of guys they won all the way up through the minor leagues and it's kind of it's kind of all they know to professional baseball right so you're seeing that again with with the royals uh what kind of confidence can that kind of bring a group of guys well, they have a group of guys down in the minor leagues that are winning right now, and they had a remarkable draft last year. They, the first five picks, they had five of the first 58 picks, and they were all college pitchers. Brady Singer from the University of Florida, Jackson Kohler at the University of Florida, uh, Chris Bubich from Stanford University, and I could go on and on and, and, and name more names, but they're all doing very well down in the minor leagues. And What they're trying to do is teach these guys how to win. So they can build that yeah. confidence, take that confidence when they get to the major leagues and then find success because it's been very difficult this year. We're probably going to lose over 100 games this year. We lost over 100 games last year. What it's done, it's, it's given, you, given you a very good draft position. We drafted it at dynamic talent this year in shortstop Bobby Witt out of the state of Texas, and we're hoping to, to group that young man along with guys like Adalberto Mondesi with Merrifield, Jorge Soler, Hunter Dozier, with some of these young pitchers that before long, you know, 2021 or 22, they'll be contending again and be ready to, to win an American League Central crown. What do you like about some of those building blocks that are in the big leagues right now? Like you mentioned, Jorge Soler, Adalberto Mondesi, Whit Merrifield. What do you like about this core uh, that they're trying to build around in the big leagues right now? In my opinion, Adalberto Mondesi is one of the most talented and gifted players in the, in the big leagues. Unfortunately, he's also injury-prone, and he's been on the injured list twice this year, and he's currently on a rehab assignment in Omaha. But, but he has incredible talent, great speed, great power. Uh, his hand-eye coordination is off the charts. His athleticism is the same, but he just needs to stay healthy. 
Whit Merrifield, on the other hand, is a self-made guy. He was a 10th round draft pick out of South Carolina and built himself into becoming a really good ball player. And last year, he led the league in hits and stolen bases. This year, he's second in hits. Solaire is a power guy out of the Cubs organization. Dozier hails from our organization, and he came from out of a small college program at Stephen F. Austin. But he is a good player, 22 home runs, 70 RBIs this year. And as he gets more maturity in the big leagues, I think we're going to see some uh, some some great success. But as you know, if, if I was to name the game baseball uh, and give it a name, I would call it pitching yeah. because pitching is so important. And we need both relievers and starters. I think we've got a really good starter in Brad Keller. We have some other guys who who, who uh, are are right now have that potential. But quite frankly, most of our our big names, the arms that we're really counting on, are still in the minor leagues. I saw that uh, it looks like Danny Duffy is is also returning uh, soon here off the injured list. And I was talking earlier about and and particularly. Uh, you know, uh, drawing a straight line to one of the ace young starters who's been helped a lot by veteran presence, Chris Bassett. What kind of veteran leadership can Danny Duffy provide, and how can that help the younger pitchers that are in the big leagues or even in the Royals system right now? Well, Danny certainly can provide that leadership, but Cal Eldred is our pitching coach, and he does a great job. He is really, really very good at working with young players, and that's why I point to, to Brad Keller's um, evolution this year. One of his mentors is now with the Oakland A's. Homer Bailey was very influential to to Brad. You'd see them at the top step of the dugout, and you see the same with, with Danny Duffy, where they're discussing situations. How do you try and win this game when you don't have your best stuff or your best command? I thought Homer was very, very um, uh, helpful in that area. And now you're seeing Brad Keller, who just turned 24. He's beginning to ask the right questions, make the right decisions make the right adjustments when he's out on the mound. And I think he's going to be a, a very good pitcher at the big league level for a long time. And I say that because he just turned 24 last month. And uh, they're, they're going to limit his innings this year. He will only throw like 180 innings this year, but they expect him at 6 feet 5 and 245 pounds to, to take it over 200 next year. You brought up an interesting point there, uh, Steve. And talking about you know trying to compete when you don't have your best stuff, and and we've been chewing over this the the pitching statistic of of wins and and how valuable how much of uh you know how that uh, really what's the word I'm looking for uh, evaluates a pitcher's value. Uh, where do you fall on this? Because there's kind of a movement that's that's uh, devaluing wins a little bit in terms of you know how that. Um, how that demonstrates how good, how well a guy is pitching or, or how good a pitcher is. What are your thoughts? I like wins, and I'll give you an example. I remember Sparky Anderson telling me, he was uh, talking about Jack Morris, who is an unbelievably competitive pitcher, and all he told me was that if you scored only one run for Jack Morris, he would shut you out. But if you scored eight runs for Jack Morris, he might give up six. He was all about wins. How do I win today? And I think that is extremely important. And moving forward, you get on the mound and it's like, okay, I don't have my best command. How do I adjust? When do I work? Do I go more off speed? Am I able to control my breaking ball rather than my fastball? Bert Blyleven one time told me when he lost his command, he always went back to his curve because it got his fastball back in rhythm back on that release point and the, and the uh, same execution, same kind of delivery. And it's those little things that you 
find out as you become the pitcher you want to be in the big leagues. But I'm big on wins. I mean, that's what it's all about. And how do you hold your team in the ball game? Here's another funny story. Years ago, James Shields, I think it was his first game with our ball club, and he's a fiery personality, and we're playing the Philadelphia Phillies. He gave up four runs in the first inning in Philadelphia, walked into the dugout, and he said, that's it. That's all they're going to get. If you guys can score me some runs, we'll stay right in this game, and, and I'll help you win it. And sure enough, the seventh inning rolls around, and it's a 4-4 ball game. Somehow, James Shields found his stuff, and that's what winning is about. It's like, how do you how do you pitch, and how do you win when you don't have your best stuff, when you don't feel good? And the great ones are able to do that regardless of the sport. That was my thought, kind of almost uh, a measurement on competitiveness. Exactly. And, uh, and, and there's so many pitchers, so many great ones over the years. Um, I always uh, like to talk about um, Greg Maddox because he was my favorite uh, pitcher to broadcast. I only did a couple of his games when I was with ESPN. And I would be on the edge of my seat trying to guess what he would throw next. Okay, he just threw a sinker in the outside corner. He's going to come back with that pitcher and throw a changeup. And I would be so mesmerized that sure enough, I, as a broadcaster, would get crossed up just like the hitter was. But when you have that kind of impeccable command to go with great competitiveness and the smarts, well, you've got a Hall of Fame pitcher like Maddox. And uh, when you have guys like that in your organization and you can find them, Max Scherzer is another example. We, we had the opportunity to uh, broadcast his game recently, and it was a joy. Even though the Royals lost the game, it was a joy to watch Max Scherzer on the mound and just execute his pitches, compete every single moment. If he needed a ground ball, he got the ground ball. If he needed a strikeout, he got the strikeout. And that's what you're trying to build. And when you have that kind of leadership, well, it's going to drift down to the other pitches in the system. And last year we went out and we found five college pitchers from outstanding programs, the University of Florida, Virginia, Dan Lynch, um, Stanford with uh, Chris Bubich. And these are guys who are going to compete together and they're going to feed off each other. And when you see that happen, I think you're going to have a lot of success. And I think before long, those young men are going to be up in our organization and winning games at the big league level. What do these guys think when they see you know a guy with a career such as Ian Kennedy uh, take the move to the bullpen and, and do what he's done down there? Well, Ian is a very good example of a guy who I think is a great leader, where you'll see him with some of the younger players talking with them, getting them to understand how you have to let go of the bad. And I think Ian does that about as well as anybody because he just went from the rotation to becoming a closer. And he, and he talked with me about how difficult that was and the challenges and how you prepare yourself and how you have, have, have to have the ability to let the bad go and move forward. Um, he, he, he's been a, a tremendous help to, to a lot of our younger pitchers like Brad Keller, like Jacob Junis and the others. Steve, did I see this right? Are, are you a college basketball guy? Well, I've done it for many, many years, but I've actually taken off football and a little basketball. I'm not doing as many games as I used to, but my wife and I, we've been married 35 years. We, we want to travel now, and we also have been blessed with three grandchildren, and I want to have fun with them. Um, Taylor, Elliot, and Grayson live up in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, so instead of running around the uh, country to do college football and college basketball, 
I do 180 baseball games. I think that's yeah. pretty qu- quite a bit. So I've actually taken up uh, writing, and I just finished a, a book and a sequel about a town in Italy, and it's doing quite well. If you're interested, you can go to Amazon. Just type in my name, Steve Fiziak. The Walls of Luca will come up. And uh, it was uh, mentioned as the best of 18 in the Kirkus edition of reviews and uh, run the one that best historical fiction for reader views. So I've been uh, really enjoying that uh, next chapter in my life as well. And I'm, I'm writing my third book right now. And what's can you give us a preview on the third book? The third book does have to do with baseball. The first book, The Walls of Luke, is about two families trying to produce a great Sangiovese wine in Italy's dark days of World War One and the rise of fascism. It's a love story slash historical fiction. The book I'm writing now is called Walks with the Wind. It's about a Native American, a boy of the Southern Ute tribe, who's blessed with two gifts. He's a great baseball player, a pitcher, and he also comes from a family of outfitters, and uh, he is a brilliant wildlife tracker. Well... The bad guy is a guy who owns a private military company and wants to use his tracking skills to uh, track for his security uh, organization over in Afghanistan. I know you're going, what the heck is a baseball guy writing books like that? <laughs> well, that's, that's that's my golf. That's my tennis. That's what I do in, uh, on, on the bus rides or on the airplane or when I'm alone, I, I write. And I had success with the first two books, so I'm writing another book and a sequel that hopefully uh, this one will be coming out opening day in 2020. No, I like it. I mean, a man of many talents. Yeah. The, the only reason I asked about college basketball, I do college basketball here in the Bay Area with the St. Mary's Gales. So I just wanted to ask you the, your favorite uh, college basketball environment that you've been in in your career. Oh, there have been so many, but I've got to go with, um, well, you know, I, I went to Kansas State University and old Hearn Fieldhouse is it was sensational. It was even better than Allen Fieldhouse in Kansas, if you can believe that. But doing Pac-10 games for now Pac-12 games, but for 25 years, I was in the Bay Area, Southern California, doing Pac-10 slash 12 games, and Mac Court was just electric. I loved Mac Court in Eugene, Oregon. It was fantastic. Um, and I would have to say, well, you know, St. Mary's is a good place, too. I mean, that, that little facility there, and, and I, when I, I did some games there, they were rocking and rolling and, and, and had great success. Um, the games at Cal were very good. When Stanford was, was rocking and rolling, they were good. The University of Washington has a nice, tiny, intimate uh, basketball facility as well. That was a great joy to, to broadcast. And, of course, anytime you do a game at Arizona, it can be phenomenal. And when Lute Olsen was there winning games and then Sean Miller, they were uh, they were pretty awesome. And my dad actually went to Oregon. And I, he took me to Matt Court one time, the balconies upon balconies. I mean, you don't, you probably won't see a place like that in college basketball or basketball ever again. No, and I think the closest you can get to it, well, obviously Cameron Indoor Arena for Duke. And then Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah. I mean, it is electric there, too. But I go back to the day of old Hearn Field House in Manhattan, Kansas, and it was an old barn. It held just like 10,500 students, but you were, the, uh, the fans were right on top of the court. And they would shake that place so loud that dust would come up from the, the ground floor. And the, uh, you broadcast from up in the rafters and the, uh, in this little uh, – it was overhang. And that thing would shake so much you thought – 
it was coming down, but it was mm-hmm. phenomenal. And those were the days with Rolando Blackman and Ed Neely and uh, Jack Hartman was the head coach, and they, and they won a lot of basketball games. And I was the voice of the Wild, Wildcats for four years, and that was a blessing broadcasting my alma mater. But I love the college game. I miss it, but more than that, I miss my granddaughters, and that's why I want to see them in the fall and the uh, and the winter time. And I'm, I'm blessed with a uh, uh, a, a wife uh, in Stacy that we've been married 35 years, and the uh, best friend I've ever had in my life. And it's like I don't want to do football <laughs> anymore because I, I miss her. So it's been a good life. Indeed it has. I'm, I'm very envious. Steve, thank you so much for the time. Have a great call tonight. And again, uh, thank you for joining A's Cast Live. Thank you very much. And uh, I love the Bay Area. And we'll be out there in a couple of weeks to, to, to battle your Oakland A's. We'll look forward to it, Steve. Thanks again. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Steve Fiziak. Interesting guy, a man of many talents. How about that? Are we, uh, so we got, I think we got one more break and then a little buying or selling. Is that what we got? All right, so we'll do that next. We'll take a break here on A's Cast Live, come back and wrap it up with uh, a little buying or selling as we, uh, we continue to count down to A's Royals and A's Total Access coming up right after this. But next, buying or selling here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Alex Jensen back with you here on A's Cast Live. Final segment on this Wednesday. Interesting guy, Steve Fiziak. A writer, calls college, well, used to call college football, I guess, college basketball. I was looking at his Wikipedia page earlier today. He's been all over the place. Angels, Warriors. He was with the Warriors for a couple of years. The, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. Interesting guy. Good interview. All right, so winding down the last, uh, well, about 12 minutes or so here on A's Cast Live, and uh, I think it's almost time for a little buying or selling. There was an interesting article that we didn't get to. Maybe we'll get to this tomorrow, Cody, uh, but an interesting article on ESPN about which breakout hitters in 2019 will stick around next year. And an A was on this list. Mark Canna was on this list. And, uh, well, they faded him a little bit, didn't they? They, they said he, uh, they don't see the breakout continuing in the next year. And, I mean, listen, Mark Canna's always been a part-time player. This is his first uh, time really starting as many games as he has, at least this late into his career. Um, but I think this, that there's evidence that this is for real. You know, Mark, Mark Canna's really improved his, his plate discipline. I know I heard a stat a couple months ago about how he sees uh, in the American League, Mark Canna is one of the top two players in pitches seen per at bat. So, anyway, we'll get into that, and we'll probably take a deeper dive on that, I would guess, tomorrow. But I think, uh, Cody, it's time for a little buying or selling. It's time for buying or selling. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Alex, it's always a pleasure to have you in for the Alex Jensen experience. It, it It really is fun. So last night, Aaron Judge became the third fastest player in Major League Baseball history to reach 100 career home runs. The other two, well, Judge's teammate, er, the Santino, did it in 355 career games. And Ryan Howard did it in only 325 games. We know what happened to Ryan Howard the rest of his career. Aaron Judge is currently 27 years old, and he's and the youngest player to ever reach 500 career home runs. I went back and looked. 
was Alex Rodriguez at the age of 32. An A-bomb. From A-Rod. Buying or selling, Aaron Judge will hit 500 career home runs. Mm. That's a tough one. Aaron Judge hasn't played over, well, he's played over 112 games once. He had a, a shortened season a year ago. He played 112 games and still hit 27 home runs. And this year he's played 77 games and he's hit 17. Um, I'm going to buy this. I don't wow. want to. I don't want to bet on injuries, and I'm betting. I, I'll. I'll. I'll say that if he stays healthy, he's 27 right now. Then he'll reach 500 home runs. Right now, the right now. By the way, the Yankees. Remember how we were talking about how the Twins were going to be the team that hits the most home runs this year? Yeah. The Yankees are like quietly nine home runs behind them for the major league lead, in home, and they hit like 60 something home runs in this month already, which is already a major league record. The Marlins through the like I think through June fourth only had sixty one home runs. So through two and a half months or what two months and a week, they had sixty one. The Yankees have hit sixty something this month. Unbelievable. And Aaron Judge had another yeah. home run today, by the way, too. So he's at one hundred and one. Yes, he's at one hundred and one home runs. Oh, he's on his rise. way. Here comes the Judge. Uh, I th- here's another reason I'm buying that is because I think that if if he incurs enough injuries, I think the Yankees are just going to put him at DH. And to yeah. just go hit every day. Well, what does that mean for Giancarlo Stanton? Well, who would you rather have right now, long term, Giancarlo Stanton or Aaron Judge? Well, Judge is cheaper, one. So I'd take Judge there. Sure. Judge is younger. As a player, who do you like more? Judge. So do I. Stanton's, I think Stanton's a one-trick I mean, he has a good arm. He's not a very good outfielder, but he has a good arm. Doesn't have great strike zone discipline. No. Judge can hit. Judge can feel pretty well. I don't. His arm's okay, I think. I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched him throw enough. I haven't looked at the advanced metrics. On his, on him, I haven't seen his jump. What his you jump haven't looked is. at the advanced metrics? Not, not on, not, I don't, not on Aaron Judge. I just know okay. he, he can hit home runs. So Here, here's the other. I think that the the Yankees will stick. Like if it came down to keeping Stanton or Judge, Judge is the face of that franchise right now. Like you're the face of A's on it. Yeah, sure. Whatever you say. Yeah, he is. Judge is definitely the face of that franchise. Well, I don't know. Glaber Day is coming up there pretty quickly. Uh, he's having a nice little. And the Sanchino. The Sanchinos there. Uh, and who, who else are we forgetting? Uh, I'm sure he has Nick, John, our, our friend John certainly has friends for uh, names for everyone. So that's true. Okay, talk. Aaron Hicks could be another one. Anyway, go ahead. The other guy in New York that's hitting a lot of home runs is playing for the Mets, and that'd be uh, one polar bear, Pete Alonso, who has now has 42 home runs, which is a Mets record, which was held by Carlos Beltran and Todd Hundley, which each had 41 that Alonso broke last night. And the MLB Network yesterday had a question they posed to Kevin Millar, and I thought it interesting. They asked, over the next five years, who's going to have the better career, Pete Alonso or Chris Bryant? Now, Pete Alonso this year is hitting 265 with 42 homers and 101 RBIs, as I mentioned before. He has the Mets on the edge of a playoff berth, but Chris Bryant and his rookie year hit 26 home runs and drove in 99 runs. And then the next year, he won the MVP, hitting 281 with 26. Uh, uh, sorry, I'm looking at stats this year. He hit 20. I think he had 29 homer, or 39 homers and 102 RBIs the year he won the MVP. This year, he's hitting 281 with 26 homers and 92 RBIs. Buying or selling, Pete Alonso will be better than Chris Bryant over the next five years. You know, normally I'd play it safe here and go with the guy with the track record, but I'm going to buy Pete Alonso. Oh, I think I, 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 Tony and I talked this off the air yesterday. I told, I told him I'm taking Chris Bryant. Like, Chris Bryant? What did he say? He didn't answer. Of course not. I, now, I haven't seen he a whole deflected. lot of Alonzo, but I, I think that – so Alonzo's got better numbers, obviously, than, than Bryant this year. Uh, Alonzo is – let's see. How old is Pete Alonzo? He 24, is 24. Right. I'm looking at Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant's 27. Here's the reason that I'm saying Pete Alonzo. I think that by this time in Pete Alonzo's career, 
Pete Alonso's got 475 at-bats under his belt. I think the league's already kind of adjusted to him. You know, normally I would say at 200 at-bats, let's see how he does once pitchers start yeah. to adjust to him. You know, I think at this point in the year, don't you think that, that kind of the scouting report has, has gotten out on Pete Alonso and, and maybe this is who he is? I haven't asked you this. I've asked Tommy this a couple times, and I'll, I'll bring it up again. Buying or selling Pete Alonso will break Aaron Judge's home run rookie record of 51 or 52. You have to hit 10 home runs over the... 11, the break hit. 11? Over the next, like, 30-something games. Could happen. Yeah. I'll sell it. I mean, that's that's a lot. But I I could see that I could... I mean, that's definitely... You can see a world which, in which that happens. Uh, speaking of the Yankees, we know how, how well they're playing this year. They're, they were beating... When I last looked, they were, they were defeating the Mariners 7-2. Uh, Aaron Judge with another homer, as we mentioned. They've had... They currently have 16 players on the injured list, which is incredible. The job that Aaron Boone has done this year has been, you know, second to none. Bob Melvin's always going to be up there. He's one of the best managers in the AL. And I think it's going to be those two guys, along with Rocco Baldelli of the Minnesota Twins for manager of the year. Kevin Cash will be thrown in there, too, because what he's done with the Rays. But buying or selling the New York Yankees are the best underdog story in 2019. Wow. I'll sell. That's a, that's a great story. But look at what the Nationals have come back from this year. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were they had a terrible start. I mean, they were to the point, last time I did this show in this room, we asked Steve Phillips if the Nationals should just sell everybody. And they've, I mean, they've come from nowhere, and I mean, they're going to be a playoff team. Yeah, we thought they were going to trade Scherzer, and who knows what they're going to do with Anthony Rendon, and and uh, look at them now. They're one of the, they're one of the two wildcard teams in the, they're, ch- they're, they're chasing down the Braves in the NL East. Which no one, no one saw coming. And yeah. the bullpen is still the worst in baseball, though. Um, yeah. Well, sorry, sorry. Second worst, the Orioles own the worst bullpen in baseball. Could we just put the Orioles in their own? I saw somebody say on Twitter the other day that the Orioles should be relegated. By the way, the Tigers have lost 90 games. Yeah, if anyone should be relegated, it should be the Tigers. They need to win five games over the next 30-something to avoid losing 119 games for the second time in franchise history. And the last time they did it was 16 years ago, 2003. Ugh. So not good. We're running out of time, so I want to get you mentioned the Nationals uh, coming in today. Christian Yelich has an outside chance of winning the NL Triple Crown, which hasn't been done since 1937 by Joe Medwick of the Cardinals. Yelich is trailing in the RB. He is right there at batting average. He's right there in home runs, but he's trailing by like almost 20 in RBI. So it's an outside chance he could do it. Cody Bellinger went from hitting 400, and everyone's saying he's going to be the first 400 hitter since Ted Williams, and he's only hitting 309 now. There's a guy no one's talking about. That'd be Anthony Rendon from the Nationals who are resurgent and, like I said, chasing down the Braves. Rendon is currently hitting 327 with 29 home runs and 104 RBIs, and he has a war of 5.3. Buying or selling Anthony Rendon will win the NL MVP award. Oh, man, that's a tough one. There are so many candidates. I mean, you talked about Cody Bellinger. You got Javier Baez with the Cubs. You've got Ronald Acuna with the Braves. He's very good. He's very he's very good. If Josh Bowden fought the face of the earth like the Pirates, he'd be up there too. He'd be yeah, he would be up the there Pirates as well. Felt the face I'm of not the earth. I'll, I'll tell you this much though. I'm not a big uh, you know, like MVP guy coming from losing teams. That's just Yeah. I, I Well, Mike Trout's so, going to win the AL MVP. And I know playing. again. And I a guy that, Listen, but, I get it. He's the best player in the game and he's putting up ridiculous numbers, but maybe there should be a new award for the best player in the game besides the player that brings the most value. Now, it's not Mike Trout's fault that the Angels have you know, put together a team that can't compete around him, that can't contend around him. But how valuable are you really to your team if, you know, your team's not even within a stone's throw of yeah. playoff contention? You know who's the guy that no one ever talks about? We mentioned Ronald Acuna. Freddie Freeman has better numbers. 
no one ever talks about Freddie Freeman. That's true. Freeman is, is quiet, quietly puts together a good season every year. I think he leads the NL in RBIs, and he's hitting close to 300, and he has 30-something home runs. No one's talking about Freddie Freeman. No one ever does. He's also, a, when I used to do fantasy, he was a great fantasy first baseman. Every fly under the radar. Fly under the radar. All right, so we got two minutes left. Last Oh, one. okay. So wait, the Anthony Rendon, I'll, I'll buy that because the Nationals have really come on, and he's uh, you know under the radar, one of the best players in baseball. Going into that question, I was going to sell it because there's so many other candidates, but now after talking through that, I'll buy Anthony Rendon. So last one because we're running out of time. We've seen 86 position players pitch so far this year. The record was 78, which was set last year. Buying or selling, as I ask you this today and tomorrow and every day going forward. Buying or selling, we will see a position player pitch in Major League Baseball tonight. Buy, 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 buy. There will be a position player pitching. You think about the time of the year, it's the dog days, man. It's the dog days. you got plenty of teams that are out of it. You, there's going to be a blowout somewhere tonight. Teams want to save their bullpens without the expanded roster. There will be a position player pitching tonight. That's it? All right, so uh, coming up next, we're going to have A's Total Access. So once again, I will throw to myself, and then we'll send it to myself <laughs> right here from Jingletown uh, for A's Total Access. And then you can hear yourself after the game. And then I can hear. Then you can hear me after the game, yes, with A's Clubhouse after the A's take on the Royals. Uh, A's Cast Live is back, a full show tomorrow from here in Jack London Square. We are 4-7, to seven, myself and Cody. Uh, and uh, we'll tackle some of the stuff we, we talked about, the hitters. Uh, the bounce back hitters or the uh, breakout hitters, rather, whether they can repeat that. We'll talk about that tomorrow, plus uh, plus much, much more. But up next, A's all night, and then we will go right into A's total access before the A's and the Royals. I'm Alex Jensen. Thanks for listening to A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.